0: Welcome back to the Outreach Project. This is Josh. This is Zach. We are joined today with...
1: Yeah, I'm Aaron Brockman. I'm pastor here at Victory Christian Fellowship in Columbia City, where I think we're all from, so...
0: Yeah, Yeah. I'm not sure if there's too many (laughs) non-Columbia
1: City listeners. If you are, we love you, but... Yeah.
0: Not sure why. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Uh, Hey. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, so you were at First Church of God at a night of worship, Mm -hmm. and, you know we approached you and we're like, Hey, let's, let's do this. Our vision is to grow, um, God's church community, not first church community. Um, so that includes everyone. Um, and we love Columbia city. So it's starting here. We'll see where it goes, see where God takes us, but it's kind of how, how we're here. Do you want to kind of share who you are, um, what you do and what this church is about, man?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was just telling you guys before we started rolling here, Uh, We've been here, I'm pastor of the church, we've been here for nine years. Today, actually, it's the anniversary of that. Um, Before that, we pastored a church in rural Bloomfield, Indiana, which almost nobody knows where that is. It's a very, very rural community just west of Bloomington. Uh, We were there for about three years. And before that, actually, my start in ministry was in worship. You know, I started as a worship pastor. I was about 19 years old. Uh, Should not have probably started at that age, uh, but it was a church I grew up in. And um, the pastor there, Pastor Brian, uh, awesome man, very loving, nurturing, kind of took me under his wing. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of my background. Really, it all started with music and music got me used to being in front of people. And uh, because I used to be scared to death to be in front of people. So uh, it's just one of those things where the Lord used those things in my life that I like to do, got me used to being in front of people. Now, obviously, you know, I'm in front of people every weekend with sermons and worship and things like that
0: yeah yeah so uh, tell us about your family yeah yeah so you are
1: yeah yeah so my wife uh morgan we've been married for 15 years uh, got married really young um you know didn't wait too long to have a family you know we got married in may and a few months later we found out we we're having our first child uh so we have three kids i've got a son named riley who's 14 a daughter quinn who is 12 And then we have our son, Jude, who is one. So you can see that age gap and how that all, uh, yeah, the Lord kind of orchestrates things. It's kind of funny because the discussion between myself and Morgan was, I wanted two kids and she wanted four. So the Lord decided to compromise for both of us and gave us three. Um, So it's just kind of how it all played out. But you know, obviously you're grateful for all three of our kids and uh, we're close. Our family is very, very close, tight knit. We spent a lot of time together. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, yeah. Kind of what what do you do for fun? What do you? Yeah, so or? it's a good
1: question. Um, so, you know, I've I've had a lot of ankle injuries and things like that. I like to play basketball. I'm not very good, but I like to play basketball. Um, you know, I like I like music. Obviously, that probably goes without saying. Uh, those probably just those two things. Like pretty vanilla kind of guy between you know sports you know hey, music and jesus it. you know in my family that's pretty yeah. much that's pretty much about it you know so uh, but obviously you know how it is with ministry in general uh when you're in ministry that takes up a lot of time so it's not that I don't have hobbies but um just kind of the nature of what we do um I don't I wouldn't call it a hobby because I love working in the church um you know, I guess maybe I shouldn't rephrase that. Maybe it is a hobby and a job at the same time. So I love what I do.
0: I'd call it more of a lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. probably
1: a better way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably a better way to put so it. So
0: you said you started at a church that you grew up in. Did yeah. you grow up here in Columbia City or somewhere else? No.
1: So I actually grew up in a town called Edinburgh. The only thing that's there that most people outside of Edinburgh would know is an outlet mall. It's right off of Interstate 65. Uh, the town itself, 4,500, 5,000 people. Um, I grew up there all the way and I was there from birth until I turned 24. And then that's when we moved to the church in Bloomfield there for three years. And when, when I was 27, we moved up here and we've been here for the last nine years. So, um, you know, yeah, believe it or not, I know my accent sounds like I'm from a little further South, but I've been in Indiana my whole life. Really? Yeah, yeah, I know. A lot of people would assume that Kentucky or Tennessee or something like that when they hear me talk. But um, the people uh, from where I grew up, and, and Edinburgh's a, a good small town. I love the place where I grew up. Um, but a lot of people, especially like all of my grandparents, migrated north from Kentucky, so that's kind of where it comes from. But I've been in Indiana my whole life.
0: Um, what's your What's your favorite basketball team?
1: Uh, are we talking college or pros? Both. Okay, college. Um that one's a little bit longer of a story. I like Michigan State. Oh. It, but, but here's why. I have, to, I have to tell you the story why. No, no. Dude, no. so when I was in it was either late elementary school or middle school. Cut, cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so here's here's <laughs> yeah, well. here's, here's why. Here's why. So I knew as as a kid that you're supposed to you either loved Duke or you hated him. Right. And so I chose to be on the side that didn't like him. And there was one year where Michigan State, I think it was 1999, Michigan State played Duke in the Final Four. So you don't like Duke, who are you going to root for? Well, that's who they were playing, Michigan State. Well, Duke ended up winning that game. But the next year, Michigan State won a national championship. And I've always kind of said this. I'm more of a Tom Izzo fan than I am a Michigan State fan. So if, if, if Izzo, no, no, see, I, you know, he maybe doesn't carry himself the best all the time, but I've always appreciated how disciplined Michigan State teams are, especially like rebounding and stuff like that. So it's one of those things where, you know, I just kind of stuck. Now, if Izzo, when the time comes, he ever leaves Michigan State, it might change, I don't know, but that's a story for there. I mean, pros is the Pacers. I mean, I grew up in Indiana. I mean, when I was a kid, Reggie Miller was the man, you know. So um, you know, that I wish they were better than what they are. They've started the season okay this year, but uh yeah.
0: I'm gonna say something that might make you despise me.
1: That's okay. Go blue. Oh, man. Yeah. That's why you're so upset. <laughs> I get it now. I get it. Listen, you can't say that too well right now, though, if we're talking football, but that's a different discussion altogether. absolutely
0: all can talk well about the okay. 2024 national champs. You heard hey. it here first. Well, hey, <laughs> listen,
1: I'll just say for your sake, I hope so, but for most other people's sake, I just don't know if that's going to happen. But we'll see. It's still oh, early. Yeah, a couple yeah. big games left.
0: Do you like football then? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Who, yeah. Michigan State, too? No,
1: so that's kind of weird. I don't know that I necessarily have. A college football team I like to watch college football uh, kind of migrating north you know I I will say I very lightly will follow Notre Dame but it's very lightly and that's probably just proximity since we're not too far from South Bend I grew up a Kansas City Chiefs fan And so, actually, my dad and I had season tickets for about five years, and we would go to a couple games and sell the rest. And this is when we had one year we did that where the team was like 2-14. and So, like, we're not like coattail riders. Patrick Mahomes shows up, and we like the Chiefs now. I suffered as a kid. (laughs) And, And so I'm glad that they're good now, but that wasn't always the case. And I tell my kids all the time, I'm like you guys are spoiled because all you guys know is Chiefs <laughs> going to Super Bowls and everything else. When I grew up, they were always getting beat by the Colts in the playoffs, and I had to hear about it at school the next day. Yeah. So yeah, but that's out of all the sports, football is probably my favorite.
0: Yeah. So we're kind of there. Let's talk a little about you growing up. Yeah. Um, what that look like? What family looked like? Yeah. So
1: I'm I'm very fortunate. I have a story that a lot of people can't relate to. Uh, both of my parents are still together. I grew up in a godly home. My dad was a a worship pastor uh, for a long time. He actually just stepped out of that, kind of semi retiring, so to speak. Um, But my whole life, my parents have been in ministry, in the church. Uh, There's been kind of a mixture. And one thing that has been really cool is I got to taste a lot of different, like, I don't want to say flavors, but types of doing church. Uh, So I grew up, I mean, our church right now, Victory, is an Assembly of God church. That's the denomination we're a part of and that's the type of church I grew up in. There came a point when I hit about 12 or 13 years old. It might have been a little uh, younger than that, but my dad uh, stepped out of the worship pastor position in that church and started to help a vineyard church. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those or not. It's very like coffeehouse style, laid back, uh, but the church was huge. Um, the music was awesome. If you do research at some point, you can find a lot of Vineyard influence in some music that you'll even hear today. Um, did that for a few years, and then a really long story that I won't bore you with, but kind of played out where my dad ended up pastoring a very liturgical Baptist church for about four or five years when I was a teenager. So I went from you know a charismatic church as a kid where you know people were shouting and raising hands and clapping and stuff during worship— Going from that to a vineyard church, which was the people still got into the worship, but it was a lot more subdued. To a Baptist church that my dad pastored, which was very much like stand up, sing a hymn, sit down, stand up, sing the doxology after the offering, sit down, like very like, um, at like I said, liturgical. Just this is the way we do church. So uh, my upbringing was very godly. I appreciate the experiences there because it's. I think what happens to a lot of people is they grow up in one particular type of church. And because of that, it affects the way they view other churches and how they worship, how they, uh, a sermon might be delivered or, you know, whatever. And for me, I got to experience that a few different ways growing up when I was, you know, wasn't an adult yet. Uh, so I appreciate the way that we do church here at Victory, of course, uh, but it's given me more of a respect for if somebody worships a different way than I do, it um, doesn't mean it's wrong. And it doesn't mean just because it's different that it has to be frowned upon one way or them frowning, down, frowning on the way we do it. Um, it's just, you know, we worship the same God. So it's just given me more appreciation and understanding for that. So I kind of a long background of, of how I grew up, just to tell you, at the end of the day, I really appreciate it because it's given me a, a broader scope of what the, you know, capital C church looks like versus just one or two local churches
0: yeah yeah and we were talking earlier um like we obviously looked into assemblies of god and stuff we want to make sure who we're bringing on you know believes yeah of course (laughs) believes you know the lord died rose again that's how we're saved nothing we do um we want to look into that um and we're talking about like hey that's the main thing um sure we may not agree on everything in the big c church um But we have to, like, set some differences aside, some differences aside. Maybe not all of them. Yeah, yeah,
1: at the end of the day, like, you know, there are things that I'm very passionate about Mm -hmm. when it comes to theology and the Word um, that I I would have discussion with people. And I think that's where it really... Discussion is the right word. A lot of times we take discussion and turn it into debate, and that's where it gets a little difficult. Yeah. Um, because instead of trying to hear each other out, we go from that place to trying to prove ourselves right. And and in a lot of cases, when we get into that frame of mind, we start to tear other people down. We did not realize we're doing it. Uh, but when it comes to this whole thing, you know, I appreciated when you, you guys reached out at that night of worship and said, hey, you want to get together and talk for a little bit? Because I'm like, I, this is this is healthy this is what relationship what you guys are trying to do uh, in like these are this is a way that we can build bridges to, to reach other people who are really in the same family because we are we're in the same family when we get to heaven one day there's not going to be a church of God wing an assembly of God wing it's, we're just in the kingdom to, you know what I'm saying like yeah. we're in I mean you, you know I I Maybe we get to heaven. That's the way it is, but I really don't expect that to be the case. <laughs> I
0: promise. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's I, not. I'm pretty sure that's not <laughs> what we're going to see.
1: Uh, but, but I think you're right. You know, at the end of the day, what matters most is is exactly what you're talking about. And we said this a little bit before we started uh, taping this. It's it's John 14 where Jesus is talking about, like, on the way the truth of life, nobody comes up to the Father except through me. Jesus is the reason that we have even the option of salvation. We can't earn it. That's Ephesians 2, 8 yeah. and 9, saved by grace through faith. It's not the result of your works, lest you boast about it. Um, in other words, you know, we can't brag about our salvation. It's a free gift that came from the Lord. And if we can rally around those key points, that's good. Yeah, we believe certain things theologically that maybe other churches don't and vice versa. But if we can unite under the banner of Jesus Christ as a risen King and Savior, then we got something we can build on together.
0: Yeah, yeah. and we can have these healthy conversations yeah. and learn about each other and grow yeah. and it's-
1: awesome. And and I think that something that's important when we do have these types of discussions, you know, whether it's on camera or just people going to a coffee shop together or whatever, uh, it's listening is really important. You know, and it kind of goes back to what I was talking about just a little bit ago. We get into these discussions where there is a disagreement or a difference of opinion, and and we start to try to figure out how we can win somebody over to our side. Believe what I believe. Uh, Now, again, on those basic theological things, yeah, I want to—if I'm talking to somebody that doesn't know Jesus, then yeah, I want to win them over to my side. You need Jesus in your life. You need to be saved from your sin. But when it comes to certain other things that maybe aren't as big a deal, just listen to people. And I think that's a big problem, especially in the church. The church isn't willing to listen to other people's differing viewpoints. And we wonder why it's so hard for us to connect with people who are outside of the church, This is going to be really corny and really cheesy, but I do think that the principle is true. You know, you hear it all the time when you're a kid, you've got two ears and one mouth and and it's really easy to share your opinion but i was taught that when i was a kid you had two ears and one mouth you listen twice as much as you talk and that's that whole thing in james one if you want a biblical reference you know be quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry and sometimes i think the church gets that flipped around we don't want to hear what people have to say we're really quick to get mad when we disagree with them Um, and we're really quick to share our opinions So uh, that's why I love stuff like this. If we're just willing to listen to each other, I think that the church, we'd be able to reach across more of those barriers that are man-made and uh, have a healthier way that not only we can communicate and relate to each other, but when the community that doesn't know Jesus can look at the way we do that— And they see churches getting together, getting along. Uh, Whether it's nights of worship or, to be honest with you, I think there's going to be more things that are going to happen in the future in Columbia City. I really believe that. I don't have some insider information. It's just (laughs) something I feel in my heart and in my spirit. I do think that that stuff is coming. And I believe that when the community sees that the church can get along, I do think that's going to open doors for us to reach more people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, imagine if, like, churches in Columbia City, like, worked together loved one another like whether it's like clear cut in your face or on you know the down low there's definitely a little bit of separation and tension and whatnot yeah we if we all loved well imagine the work god could do if we came together in Columbia City. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and
1: yeah. the truth of the matter is, you know, Whitley County in and of itself, I you know, I was just doing very basic research not too long ago. There's not quite, but there's between like 35 to 40,000 people in Whitley County. Really? Yeah, the whole county Okay. And so, you know, my numbers may not be exactly right. So if any fact checkers that might be listening to this, if you go and find that I'm a few thousand off, then I'll digress. But I'm not that (laughs) far off. I'm not that far off. I do know that. Um, So anyway, I'll put it this way. There's not a church in Columbia City. and There's not a church in our whole county that's that big. And all that does is prove the point that, like, we need each other. Whether mm-hmm. it's a church of 20 people or a church of 2,000 people, the community needs each one of these houses of worship to not only be internal and focus on their own thing, which I understand every church has to do that to a certain extent, but being willing to kind of, like we've been kind of the, the discussion so far, being willing to reach across those denominational man-made barriers and say, you know what, I'll give you an example. We've, we've had people in our church and... Uh, You know, some people that have come in they are like, hey, we like the church, but we feel like we're drawn to maybe go to another church in town. I learned a long time ago that, you know, as a pastor or a leader of a church, you don't possess people. They're not yours. They're God's. And when people come to me and they feel like they're drawn to another church and community, we've had people that have been in our church and they said, you know, I feel like I want to go to, to first even, which is where you guys go. And when I have those discussions with people, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, that all that matters to me is that you're, you're in the family. If you're in the family of God, that's good. And, and if you feel like the gifts that God has put in your life are more equipped or, you know, better equipped to work in a, in a different place, so be it. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters to me is any believer is planted where they're supposed to be planted, doing what God has gifted them to do, to do kingdom work in the community. And I, I just think if if churches, and I, I've been guilty of it, so I'm not going to say, oh, I've got this all figured out, because I'm still learning to. Uh, but I feel like if churches were, and more specifically, leadership teams in churches were less possessive of people, we wouldn't be so competitive with each other. And that would open up a, an opportunity for us to to be able to reach across those lines a little easier instead of worrying about statistical things, you know, tithe, attendance numbers, all those different things. Yeah. We could just say, you know what? The people that are in the church, these are the people that God's entrusted to me as a pastor to lead them and, and encourage and serve them well, Um and if if the Lord's sending them somewhere else or he's drawing on their heart to do something somewhere else then who am i to say well you know we treat the church almost like gangs sometimes like you're with this group or you're with that group or whatever uh but it shouldn't be that way we're all part of the same family you know we got the same dad and we can you know we can love each other even even in those times where maybe god calls somebody somewhere else or if you go to another church i just i could talk all day about churches working together just because uh, I, my personal belief, and I'll quit here so we can move the discussion along. <laughs> my personal belief is a lot of the uh, issues that we see in our culture today would be in a much better place if we as believers got along better mm-hmm. and set a better example yeah. for the world around us.
0: Yeah. I don't know many that would disagree. <laughs> I love it. Um, so it's rewind a little bit yeah. did you attend college
1: so no actually it's, it's kind of a loaded question i'll say no i do not have college degree uh, within the assemblies of god there are a couple of different ways that you can go about getting your credentials um, there are online universities there's physical universities theological seminaries all that kind of stuff the route that i chose to take is um, something called global university and you can find that. I mean, it's a website, globaluniversity.edu. Global you can do full-blown, like, bachelor's, master's, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But they also have what's called the Berean School of the Bible underneath that. It's kind of underneath that umbrella. And that's what I did. There were 27, 28 classes that I had to take uh, to to get my credentials. The way the Assemblies of God works is there's three levels of, of credentials, certified, license, and then ordination, which is the last one. Um, so to be able to do that, you have to take all those classes at each level. You have an exam, you have to take it to district office, you have personal interviews you have to go through. So it's kind of, it's not necessarily a traditional college route, um, but it, I'll just say I didn't get my ordination, uh, online so I could officiate a few weddings. It did take some, it did take some studies and some, uh, you know, some tests and interviews and all of that. But I've been credentialed with the Assemblies of God, I want to say it was 2008, when i was certified i've been ordained since 2015. um so yeah i've been doing it for a little bit
0: yeah that's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard that. Is
1: yeah, that... it's it's it is interesting. There, are, uh, one thing I found with different denominations, the ordination process looks different. Mm-hmm. Um, so even to the the place of uh, somehow sometimes how they place pastors, there's some denominations where, like in the Assemblies of God, it's very much like a traditional secular world where there's interviews and you know. In the assemblies of God, they call it a candidate weekend. It's a really fancy way to say you're trying out for the church. You come in, you <laughs> preach, and they vote on you. Like That's what happened with us, In it was October— Uh, when they voted on us in 2014 and we started in november that's why we say our anniversary is in november but that's kind of how it works whereas there are other denominations where you know the denomination will go to a pastor and say hey here's a church open this is where you're going kind of thing so uh yeah you start getting into the denominational inner workings of how certain places do certain things that that opens a whole other discussion that would take a long time to process for sure
0: yeah um and earlier we were talking about like our where our church is in yeah. the process of pastoral transition, mm-hmm. and you said you've been
1: on both sides of it. Yeah,
0: how the heck did you get here,
1: man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so uh, you know it's interesting. So I shared with you guys that I really my start in ministry was music, and when I was leading worship, I don't. This just shows that it was a small church. I was on a church board at like 19 years old, 20 years old. Um, so small church, but our pastor had stepped away. Uh, Under good good circumstances, it wasn't like he was kicked out or anything. But I got to be on that side where resumes came in. And as a transition team, we had to look through that information, had to have uh, membership meetings with the church. That was a lot of work, so I can empathize with what your church is going through right now. Uh, We've been praying for you guys. I've talked to a few of the people on the staff at your church, just trying to encourage them, You know, because I know I've been there. It's a hard process. Um, how did we end up here in Columbia city? Uh, the way that it played out when we were in Bloomfield, um, I kind of had a stirring in my heart that we, even before we went to Bloomfield, I knew when we, when we moved there that the Lord had put it on my heart that we were supposed to pastor the church and we weren't going to be there very long, which was hard. Cause I had a two year old and my daughter at the time was like five months old. And so it was like, well, you know, okay, Lord, this is what you want us to do. This is what we'll do. So we moved there. And, uh, you know, like I said, in the middle of all of that, the Lord was stirring my heart, like, hey, it might be time to—not might. The Lord doesn't do it that way. Hey, it's time to start, you know, looking for what's next. And every district within the Assemblies of God kind of handles this differently. But within Indiana, in the Assemblies of God, the way it works is you have to send your resume to the district office, and they'll send you what's called an open church list. It's just basically a list of churches that need a pastor. Hmm. And I remember it would have been late May or early June of 2014. I'd sent my information to the district office, and they emailed me an open church list. And some people would say this is a little a little bit uh, romantic or I'm kind of embellishing, but I, I, I just know how it happened to me, so that's how I'm going to tell it. When I got the email, I felt like Victory Christian Fellowship, Columbia City, jumped off the screen at me like, I needed to send that church our information. Uh, As a matter of fact, there were other churches, uh, like one in Florida and a couple other places that we had already started to communicate with, that I called or emailed and communicated and said, hey, you know what, Like, we're pulling our name from consideration. We feel like there's a place we're supposed to go. Um, And we took really everything off the table except for victory here in Columbia City And I found out that the district superintendent at the time, I said, hey, I'm going to send my resume there. He said, well, I already sent your resume there because I think you'd be a good fit. So I thought, okay, well, maybe this is something that's going to work out. Well, it took five months. And (laughs) so in that five months, you know, between, let's see, May, June, July, August, September, yeah, five months, um, there was a lot of soul searching between myself and my wife asking a lot of questions um, there was a spot in that search process where the church here had sent us a, a packet in the mail and they said, Hey, you know, you're one of five candidates that are left that we want to continue to consider for the position. I remember, uh, being in the parsonage in Bloomfield and looking at my wife and I said, Morgan, we're probably their fourth or their fifth candidate out of those five, but I still feel like that's where we're going to end up. I just, I, I guess for me, when I felt like the Lord's put something on my heart, I stick to it pretty strongly. And, uh. So I was like, okay, and now I know a lot of things. Obviously, you know some private things that I won't share in this discussion, uh, but I know some things of the inner working of the transition team here at the church when they were working through that process. And from what I've gathered, we probably were the fourth or fifth candidate on their list at the time. But it's just, you know, God's divine hand working things out, and uh, you know, we ended up here and. It's been an interesting ride. It really has. We've enjoyed our time here. You know, look forward to what the future looks like. Uh, but to give you the story, that's how it all played out. That's how it played yeah. out, so. Yeah. Um, and
0: you mentioned a little bit of your church leadership teams mm-hmm. and all of that. What what
1: does that look like from, like, elders to whatnot? That's a good question. Whatnot? So, you know, I've found that a lot of that depends on the size of the church. So, you know, our church, 100, 120 people, um, you know, I'm the pastor of the church. We have an advisory board, which some other people would say, like maybe elders or whatever else, but that's a terminology we use as an advisor board. We have, counting myself, there's five members of that. Um, and then from there, we have ministry leaders, you know, like a men's ministry leader, women's le- ministry leader, so on and so forth. Um So the model of leadership within the church is much more probably organic here than maybe what it would be in a larger church like where you guys are at, where there are a lot of specified roles, uh, people on staff. Something else about our church is, you know, I'm the only person that's paid. You know, I do have—I'm full-time here at the church, which I'm very grateful for that. I've done bivocational before, and that's really hard. So anybody that— you know, might be in the middle of that right now where you're working a secular job and in the church. I know that life, and uh, I respect that. If anybody does hear it, that does hear this, that does that, I would appreciate you. Um, but, you know, like I said, just with our situation, the, the size of the church being what it is, um, it's more relational than it is uh, corporate style might be the best way to say it. Uh, But that's just because that's where we are. There's nothing wrong with a corporate style. Every every church, what I've found when it comes to leadership, every church has to have their own unique way of doing it. And sure, it'll look a little bit like what some other places do, um, but there is no cookie-cutter way for every church to do everything because every church has a different DNA. So for our leadership style, we have people who lead ministries. We have a board just like any other church would. But as far as how we lead and how that looks, I would definitely say it's more organic and relational than maybe it is like a corporate style. Okay. What what do you mean by corporate style? Yeah, so that's a good question. So for me, if I were to define it, corporate style would be more like um, – we have a weekly uh, staff meeting we have uh, certain like statistics that we go over in these staff meetings uh, kind of like if you're looking at a corporation a ceo is going to come into a board meeting and say okay you know here's the money we're making here's this here's that here's In a corporate style church, again, not saying that's a bad model because a lot of larger churches, you don't have a choice. That's the way you got to do it for the church to be able to sustain itself in a healthy way. Um, It's going to be similar. Hey, here's what the attendance look like. Here's some things that are going well. Here's the things. It's more specific to those kind of things. Our approach is a little more relational and organic. And like we just kind of read the room and say, okay, well, this is what's going on in the church right now. Let's figure out how to deal with Mm -hmm. it. So I'm not saying those two things are mutually exclusive. Uh, There are some things that we do that might be a little more corporate, so to speak, or operate as if we're larger than what we are. And I'm sure that there are other churches that are larger, that there's organic parts to it too. Um, So probably the best way to do it would be a little mixture of the two, Uh, but just kind of give you an idea of how we do it. It probably leans more to that side of let's read the room and see what's going on and and adjust accordingly. Yeah, I like it. Um, sorry.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about like the, the ministries and stuff you guys have going on here at victory?
1: Yeah. So most of what we have going on is, is pretty typical for what you would see in a lot of churches. There's men's ministries, women's ministries, stuff for kids, um, you know, youth group, all of that kind of stuff.
0: I'm not, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, I'm sure I'm
1: not rocking anybody's world right now with that information. Um, Something that we used to do, and I'll just, you know, if we're talking about reading the room, this kind of leads right into that discussion... Uh, Something that we used to do fairly well, and we've kind of, you know, with everything that happened in 2020 with coronavirus and all that, that affected a lot of what I'm about to tell you. Our small groups, cell groups, life groups, grow groups, whatever you want to call them. Everybody's got a different name for them. (laughs) Around here, they're called cell groups. Uh, Those were a pretty strong ministry in the church for a while, and there are still some people in the church that get together. Uh, But we've found, at least for our church right now, something that's getting ready to revamp is to kind of put a new emphasis on that again. If you guys were to ask me, like, what's your ministry philosophy, I'm a big Acts 2.42 guy. If I, if somebody were to ask me, what's what's the church supposed to look like? You know, Acts 2.42 is that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. Two things that connect us to God, two things that connect us to each other. And I feel like if that's how Jesus established his church, then that's probably a good model for the church to follow. And uh, just in in recent times, you know, to be completely transparent for whoever listens to this, I feel like some of the areas I've maybe fallen short in leadership of our specific church recently has been in the fellowship and breaking bread part, bringing people together. And so, um, something that has happened, it's not happening much right now, but is getting ready to once we roll around again to January to start 2024 is to really put an emphasis on those groups and, and, and causing people to be more relational with each other. Uh, because one thing that I've noticed, and this isn't a negative word against our church or any church that doesn't do groups. Um, one thing I've noticed is that when there aren't opportunities for people to connect, they're going to be disconnected.
0: Makes sense. You know
1: what I mean? Yeah. And, and so I, I've seen that some in, in our church. I've seen that in different places throughout my life, you know, where I've been in different churches, whether I was in ministry or just growing up as a kid. Uh, so it's just about trying to find ways to connect people. So the ministries of the church, typical things, including the grooves, but that's just kind of, if you want to know where we are right now, there's a real emphasis to try to make things a little more relational mm-hmm. with people in the church.
0: Yeah. Um, with your congregation being about 100, 120 people, yeah. you say, give or take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you find it when that ball gets rolling and whatnot, it's easier to get connected? Because you've said you've been to some bigger churches too mm-hmm. growing up. Like,
1: yeah, so it's it's interesting because even if you look statistically, you could find a lot of research that'll say churches that are uh, under 200 people, that 200-person uh, attendance number seems to be a really hard barrier for churches to get past. And a lot of that has to do with relational type of stuff. So churches our size, uh, maybe even a little bigger, some that are smaller. um, Everybody kind of knows everybody. And and that's a hard thing for a church to overcome. So I I think in the aspect of like church growth, I think that can be a little bit of a detriment because people are like, well, I don't want the church to change because I know everybody. Mm. But in the aspect of your original question... Um, I think it's easier for people to connect in a smaller church because it's easier for everybody to know everybody. Whereas if you're at a church that's, you know, 1,000 people, 1,500 people, you're not going to know everybody. It's just not going to happen. But that doesn't mean that, I mean, you're going to not have connections with people. Typically what happens, there are several groups in churches that are that big and several opportunities for people to connect. So I guess maybe a better way to answer the question, I don't know if it's Harder or easier for churches of either size to connect I will say that it's easier for smaller church for everybody to connect with everybody on some kind of level Hmm. Um, but the bigger the church typically the more opportunities there are Because there are more people that are on your your volunteer team leading groups leading ministries and things like that Yeah Um, Do you preach every Sunday then yeah, so what happens typically I'll preach most Sundays so we'll have uh, this year has kind of been abnormal. We've had more guest speakers in than we normally do. Um, but normally we'll have about five or six guest speakers in a year. And we have three or four guys in the church that um, some of them are credentialed with the assemblies of God, some of them are not. They just have a gifting in their life to preach the Word. Mm-hmm. And so the way I look at it is, is and I look at ministry like this in general, I try to find ways to um, either equip people or encourage people, however God's gifted them, to to operate. So there'll be usually in that team of three or four guys, they'll preach once or twice a year in the church. So, yeah, I preach most Sundays, but I try to give opportunities for outside voices to come in and share because maybe the Lord will give them something that they need to hear from a different voice, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. um, because that's happened several times. I could preach a message. And some people will grab it, and the next week a guest speaker will come in and preach the exact same thing, and everybody grabs it like it's this major revelation, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it's just sometimes that helps getting a fresh voice in. But I also believe in giving people opportunities to grow in their gift. So yeah, um, most of the time me, but several opportunities for guys in the church, and a few guest speakers here and there.
0: Yeah, how do you find those guest speakers?
1: Usually it's through relationship. So okay. I'm very guarded with the pulpit. Yeah, because the way I look at it is if i give somebody the opportunity to preach then that's my endorsement of that particular yeah. person and their ministry so if i don't know that person it's very rare that i've ever done i can only think of probably one or two times ever that i've done that but usually the only time i've ever done it's because i have a relationship with somebody that knows that mm-hmm. person and and it's somebody that i trust that's recommended them. Um, but typically it's through relationship it's people that i know people that i've heard preach um and so that my criteria is like who would I have come in preach? they got to know the word, they gotta love people, and they've got to be they've got to be willing to speak the truth without being afraid most of the time when I get feedback from people who are not from our church and they'll come and visit or whatever um, the way that I preach might seem a little abrasive to some people. I mean, I don't know if you guys have listened to anything if you haven't, I'm not offended um I just—I guess the way I look at it is the Word says what it says, and sometimes that rubs people the wrong way, but okay. we can't bend what the Scriptures say. The Bible says what it says. We're the ones who are supposed to adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I to be really blunt with you, I think that there's a really big problem, not just in Columbia City, but just, I mean, all over the world, but especially in first world countries where there's a major emphasis on feel-good messages and yeah and, and 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 to be truthful there's a lot of feel-good stuff in the bible that should be preached i'm not a doom and gloom preacher either that's <laughs> just when we're on a particular passage of the bible like we have to look at it in its context what does it say and then preach it you know i, I could give you one quick example you know a lot of people like to quote philippians 4:13. In my opinion, it's one of the most misquoted passages in the Bible. I'll, so I look spiritual on this thing. I'll pull the Bible out really quick Let's just, do it. To, just to read it. Philippians 14 talks about, you know, a lot of people say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? And you'll see that on shirts. You know, you got Steph Curry <laughs> writing that on his shoes for basketball games. And yeah, like it, it sounds beautiful. It sounds interesting. Like, oh, yeah, because I have. Christ with me. I have strength to jump over walls and play basketball and do all this kind of stuff. But in its context, that's not what that passage is talking about at all. You know, it starts in verse 10. He's saying, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I'm in the ESV. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now at length, you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to focus really. is 11 to 13. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The context of that passage is saying, I know what it means to have a whole lot, and I know what it means to have nothing. But because I have Jesus, I have all that I need. Mm -hmm. And it's because of that I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. And so for me, I've heard people preach messages out of Philippians 4, 13 and other verses and and the push behind it is, oh well, I've got Jesus, I can do anything and everything. Now, I think the three of us would agree. The principle is that God is omnipotent, all powerful, is very true. But I'm I'm very much and I'm still learning here, I'm not an expert on this, but I believe very much so in whatever the context of the passage says, that's the way we gotta preach it.
0: Yeah. I love that. That's very similar to what we're teaching students right now. Good at a, in our serve or youth group which yeah, is i love that It's really cool it's hey ma- mainly the theme of philippians is paul like hey i've i've had all
1: these worldly things yeah. and it's it's
0: not it guys yeah. like
1: yeah and, and so the thing for me too is like you know i've said this in our church multiple times i feel like one of the biggest problems with the american church is it's biblically illiterate there are so many people that come into the church on a week-to-week basis that have no clue what the bible says um you know that they lean on You know what a pastor says or what a worship leader says from a microphone i the way i try to do ministry is i don't want people to rely on what i have to bring to the table on a sunday morning i want people in in our church and really in the church every brother and sister in christ you have to have relationship with god for yourself You have to know how to use the Word for yourself. Scripture in Ephesians 6 calls the Word the sword of the Spirit. It's the only offensive weapon in the armor of God. Everything else is protective. Think about it. you got the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, on and on you can go. The sword's the only thing that's offensive where you can take ground, take territory. You can advance in whatever God has called you to do. And there are so many people that we've got all kinds of swords that sit on our you know, on our shelf collecting dust or whatever we've got, you know, our phones, mine's on the floor. I'd pick it up and wave it around. You've got apps on your phone. You can read the word whenever you want. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, it's a concern obviously, but I think there's an opportunity uh, for the church today for there to be an emphasis. And I love hearing what you guys are talking about with, with youth group kids to teach people the word so they understand it for themselves. They know how to use it. You know, if I use a sword every Sunday, I can cut some things back and do whatever because the word of God's not going to return void. But if you know how to use it in your own life, then whatever spiritual warfare, whatever it is you're going through, you have the offensive weapon that you can use. Jesus, when he's tempted in Matthew, he's in the wilderness and the devil comes to him. Hey, turn this stone to bread. Do all that. Jesus, every time the enemy came with a temptation, his response was, it is written. He used the word. Mm -hmm. And so... There's I, I, there's several things, man, I get really passionate about, and, and but one of them is this. If the church, and me too, if we could gain a greater understanding of what the Word says and how we can use it, um, there's so much unlocked potential in, in the people of God, especially in America today, and I feel like if we get a greater understanding of the Word, how to live it, how to use it, we'll see things that will probably blow people's minds. I yeah. really do believe that. Yeah, I love that. And you touched on it earlier,
0: not creating our own truth and then integrating the Word yeah. into it. Like, yeah. no,
1: this is the truth,
0: yeah. the only way. Yeah, we, That's how we do it, man. That's, yeah, the
1: Word is the Word. It's always going to be the Word. It will not change. Uh, but what it's supposed to do is it changes us.
0: Yeah, what's... Is it John 1?
1: In the beginning? Yeah, in the beginning was the Word. the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's Jesus is the Word. Said, yeah, Jesus is the Word. You want to know? You want to know Jesus? Know the Word. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really is. It's funny because a lot of people in our church they've probably heard me preach so many different messages with the undertone that is pray and read the Word, and and it's just we know that that's like Christianity one hundred and one. You should pray, and you should read the Bible. So many people look at it from the aspect of legalism and uh, ritualism. Okay, because I'm a Christian, I have to, I have to mm. read the Bible. I have to pray. But when you look at it through a relational context where it's, no, I'm in relationship with God. And because I'm in that relationship with God, no, I want to get to know him. Just the same way as I, when I first met my wife, I wanted to get to know her. You know, I wanted to learn about her. I wanted to draw closer to her. And an even more important aspect than that, I should want to read the Word to gain an understanding of God. I should want to pray, to have open ears too, not where I'm just coming with my now, now I lay me down to sleep prayers, but like when I'm talking with God and having an open heart to listen, uh, there's a difference, man. And I feel like if we could switch over from that have to mentality to get to, It it changes the whole context Mm -hmm. of that because it's relational and it's important and it goes beyond a a ritual to a thing that causes me to draw closer to Him. Yeah, I love it. Um, Another random question. Sure. Do you sing Uh, and preach? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of interesting. You know, I've had different times in my life where, especially even since we've been here, you know, I had one moment where I was praying. I'm like, Lord, you know, it kind of it kind of tires me a little bit to have to do both, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, just in a time of prayer, you know, I was like, Lord, what, what's the situation here? And 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 I'll be, you know, just to be completely transparent, the Lord's given me some wisdom, and I don't lead everything. We've got a, a couple of ladies in the church, Eden and Kathy, who do a great job leading. They'll lead some of the songs. They do a great job with it. Um, but I, over time, I was praying one time, I'm like, Lord, like, What's the deal with this? Pretty much almost like having a pity party, just to be really honest with you. Like poor, poor, pitiful me. And um, in the middle of that, I felt like the Holy Spirit asked me a question. And, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit asked me, what's your name? And in the middle of that prayer, I'm like, okay. So, you know, my, name's, my first name's Aaron, but my middle name's David. And so Aaron was a priest and David was a psalmist. And as soon as I I felt like the Holy Spirit asked me that question in my heart, I knew where it was going. And pretty much it's don't curse your calling. Don't curse the gifts that God's put in you. You know, I'm not going to assume to be the greatest preacher preacher, nor the greatest singer that there is. Um, But I do think there's something to be said about recognizing when God has gifted you to be able to do certain things. And in that moment, I was griping about, something that the Lord's enabled me to do. And it was a moment of correction. Those moments aren't fun, but we need those too. And uh, so, yeah, basically from that moment on, I learned to quit griping about it and just be obedient to use the gifts God's given me. Um, Typically what it'll look like, I might lead one or or two songs a Sunday, um, play guitar. um, But that's most weeks, if not every week. So, yeah, I stay pretty busy on Sundays.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's that's really neat. Is that common in your, I don't know,
1: network of other pastors? It just depends. You know, I, I would say it's probably common in churches our size. Um, You know, I, I don't know that I would necessarily say it's common in, in the network of, like, Assemblies of God or anything like that. I think it's really—it's not really tied to denominations. It probably has more to do with the size of a church. Yeah. Um. So, yeah makes a lot of sense yeah. yeah yeah it's it's pretty much one of those things where if you have a church of 100 people versus a church of a thousand people in that church of a thousand people there's probably more people who are capable to do those kind of things versus a church that's a tenth of the size so i think sometimes it is just simple math yeah yeah <laughs> but we to be fair at a church in a church our size I, I will say this um we're very fortunate we have a lot of people who are gifted musically in the church uh from a percentage standpoint which i would not even try to venture to guess off the top of my head but from i would i would say just from a a basic standpoint percentage wise we're very fortunate compared to other churches our size as far as people who are musically able to play or sing or whatever so it's not a gripe by any stretch i'm grateful for what we have here
0: yeah i love it so typical sunday morning what time? what time are you guys services Do you have, like, kids programs, stuff like that?
1: So let me – I'll answer the question, but let me flip it to ask you guys a question. Um, Do you guys start on time? Let's say church starts at, what do you have, like 9 and 11? Nine, Is that, 10, 9, 9 and 10.30. Okay, so does church start right at 9, or does it start about uh, 9.05? I, it
0: starts pretty on time, really. Okay, all um, right. We have a countdown. And, yeah,
1: so yeah. so we do too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let, let me ask you another question then. And this, so I, I promise I will answer the question. But uh, um, when that countdown clock starts, you know, let's say it hits 9 o'clock and you're at double zeros, When it hits about 9.05, how many more people are in the sanctuary versus 9 o'clock when the service starts? That's fair,
0: yeah. Probably a little bit more. Especially with the 9 o'clock. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I I would say for us, typical Sunday, it's advertised that we start at 10 a.m. Church starts at 10.05, and I would say at 10.05, like that's... The timer goes off, double zeros, 10.05, and... I would say we probably don't have everybody here until about halfway through the first song, <laughs> maybe towards the end of the first song. Uh, as far as the ministries, you know, one thing that we are fortunate to do with the size of our church, um, we keep the, the family together for the praise and worship part of the service. So we do have nursery, we do have kids' church, um, but what we do is everybody's in here for the music, and then there's a spot in between the music and the message. Uh, where we'll pray. We pray over our kids every week. So worship's over. Things are kind of transitioning. We'll have a spot where we have all the kids stand up, speak a blessing over them, and then there's kind of a mass exodus. One thing I love about our church is every week when the kids get up to leave and the the team that's serving in those areas of nursery and kids' church, probably a third of the church gets up and walks out, which for me is excellent because I feel like if there aren't any kids in the church, then the church is dying. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love that. Um, but yeah, I mean, once that happens, the kids are in their areas of ministry and then we're in here preaching. I'm a very, very, very big proponent of the altar. I think it's important to give people an opportunity to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit's doing. Um, so like, even if you preach a message that, you know, cause I've had times where I've preached a message that really it's like, how do you invite people to respond to this? Um, even in those moments, it's very rare that I don't open the altar for people to respond. Because number one, um, maybe there is something that was said in the middle of the message that resonated with somebody, and the Holy Spirit speaks to them through that, that they feel like they need to, they need prayer or whatever. But even even if it didn't, if they, if somebody came in and, and they're saying, you know what, you preached on, you know Noah's Ark, and my marriage is falling apart. Uh, we're going to open the altars anyway, so somebody can pray with you, you know, and, and one way that's easy for me to tie that in, I'll say, okay, well, here are these ways that if you need to come to the altar, you can respond if it has to do anything with the message. But I try to, at the very end, if you have any other need, and people in our church could probably quote this, but if you have any other need that has nothing to do with what I talked about today, and you still want prayer— the altar's open for you too. I just, I sense it, that it's, or not just sense, I believe very firmly that it's important to allow people to respond uh, to the presence of the Lord. And, you know, how many times have I, I mean, I, in my own life, have I gone through something and I've had a, a brother or sister pray with me in the church, um, and, and it was beneficial in one way or another. Uh, I could tell several stories that would take hours and probably bore you guys to death. I mean, I've seen people, you know, I don't know where your theology is on this, but I can just tell you from personal experience, I've seen people physically healed in altar services. I mean, people that came up with canes and walking, you know, walkers and leave without it. I mean, I've seen uh, when I was 10 years old, there was a guy who had gum cancer, self-inflicted. He he chewed tobacco, you know. Uh, he had gum cancer, and I, I I went to a service. A guy prayed for me, and he said that in that moment, you know, I'm 10 years old, so I have faith like a child. Somebody that's a man of God tells me something, I'm just going to believe it, you know. <laughs> um, he said, you know, I believe the Lord's going to use it for healing, and so for me as a kid, I believe that. So this guy in our church, um, that was at a special revival service later on. This guy in our church had been diagnosed with gum cancer. And his son came up to me and said, I heard what that guy said to you at that one service. I want you to pray for my dad. So for me, just a kid, why not? You know, I don't even remember what I prayed. I guarantee it wasn't anything super spiritual. But later on, the guy shows up at the at the church and he pulls me into a side room. He says, Aaron, I want to show you something. And he had an x-ray, like, like you know, like transparency, before and after pictures where the Lord had removed it. Um You know, one of those medical things that doctors couldn't explain it, but biblically I could. Jesus still heals. I believe that. And, um, you know, why do I bring that story up? It just comes back to the altar. That's why it's such a big deal to me. It's why we do it almost, if not every service we're here, Um, because I believe in the importance and the power of prayer. You know, laying hands on people, you know, James 5 talks about that. And we can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. And it's not just healing, you can pray for people for encouragement. Pray for people uh, when they're going through something. Uh, But just in general, to kind of wrap that up, it is important. It is important to encourage people and keep the altars open because you never know what somebody's going through. You never know what they need prayer for, and you never know if that day might be the day that God does something crazy to meet them where they're at. Yeah, that's interesting. And
0: to be completely honest, my theology is disagrees, to be honest. That's fair. But that's interesting, I really like... Hearing that and that's cool yeah and
1: definitely a different perspective yeah see sure. this comes back to what we were talking about earlier too though even though you could probably sit there and think you know we might cut this out of the episode or whatever no, i'll leave it no yeah. i'm just saying just in general like you weren't there wasn't like a oh well that's stupid or you're weird or like it just was <laughs> okay i'm gonna listen to what you have to say and we could use more of that so i appreciate it no
0: and like
1: i think let's talk off camera i I'd, yeah, I'd love to
0: yeah but um Anyways, what's your kind of children's program then? Is yeah. it you guys
1: just have a 10 o'clock then? Yeah, so okay. so we just have the 10 o'clock service. Um, so one other thing we do for kids, we our church is, is involved in Bible quiz. So that's something that's more like the kids will come in on a Tuesday night, practice, and they have like meets like they have one this weekend in Fort Wayne. But typical, like what you would normally see for a kid's ministry in yeah. a church. Once that happens where we separate everybody... Uh, you know, the, we pray for the kids, we bless them, we send them out. The nursery, the kids will go to the nursery. The kids' church, there's usually a lesson. Um, sometimes it's interactive. Sometimes it's more like teaching style. But, you know, the people who lead uh, the kids' group, we have three couples that kind of rotate. Theirs, um, and they work together, like they'll have curriculum and things like that. But the, the goal is, obviously, whether it's interactive or just teaching. Um, I really try to stress to our kids' ministries the importance of what I've been talking already about in this time we've had together, get the kids to know the word. Yeah. Get the kids yeah. to know the word, because if they know the word now, it's going to help them a whole lot later on. Be rooted in it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Again, it's that. If you want to know Jesus, know the word, because Jesus yeah. is the word. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Straight yeah. up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's really neat though that the kids attend the worship part. Yeah. Our buddy's church. And it's Grace Gathering in Fort Wayne. Okay, they have a few different campuses. Sure, but, um, I've attended there a few times, and they do that as well. Yeah. Um, their kids and leaders sit together. I don't know if yours do here, but then they disband, and it's really neat.
1: To yeah, so so I've seen that before. That's really cool too. The way it, it is really more so here is families are together, so it's yeah. like so you know I'm sitting with mom and dad and worshiping, and 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 sometimes it can be a little chaotic, especially with the nursery kids. You know, you have a kid that like. Praise and worship's going on, they bonk their head on a chair or something. Like, I mean, it, stuff, it, it's it's inevitable. I mean, when you have kids in the crying room, and- it's inevitable. When yeah. you have kids in the room, sometimes that stuff's going to happen. But to me, um, you know, at least where the church is right now with how things are positioned at victory at the moment, um, I love that it works that way. Mm-hmm. I can deal with a, a kid crying every now and then or, or getting sad or whatever um, because of what I see with families worshiping together. You know, even during worship, I get the, the privilege to be able to kind of see what's going on in the room, so I'm on the platform. And when you see, you know, a kid, you know, I, I'll say with even my own kids, when I can watch my son or my daughter, you know, worship, that hits dad in the heart pretty hard, you know, in a good way. You know, when you see a, a mom and a son standing next to each other during a church service and they're both praising God, and one of them's, you know, six, seven, eight years old, yeah. That's the good stuff, man. Yeah. That's the good stuff.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: What's worship to you? That's a great question. So, hmm, there's a lot it's of ways. It's a deep that, question. But, well, there's a, as I yeah. said, there's a lot of ways you can answer that. Uh, worship, it, it goes way beyond the way we've defined it in the American church. I'll just put it that way. It's a lifestyle. It's a life that's a sacrifice unto God. You know, it's that whole Romans 12 thing, one and two, you know. You, you know, you're live. You know, you're a living sacrifice. That is your pleasing, acceptable worship. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. obviously, I'm very, very loosely paraphrasing that passage. But it's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Worship is the way you live your life. You know, I honor God with my life every day. And yes, a part of that can be in a church service, or if I'm in my truck on the way home listening to worship music. Like, yeah, but that's that's we. That's a very I don't want to say a small piece, but it's only a piece of what real worship is. Worship is when I do my job well. Uh, and, you know, working as unto the Lord. Worship is when I, I live according to biblical principles. Um, so, yeah, in a much shorter way than what I just rambled and gave you, worship is a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that's my definition.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been said many times, but it's hard to like live for God fully if you're just a Sunday Christian. I'm kind of that agree. same principle. It's yeah. Paraphrased to how I've heard it many times, but... Yeah yeah i I love that man yeah. um super off topic what's your favorite secular song
1: it's hard <laughs> it's it's very hard and, and I'll tell you why I'll tell you why um I can just tell you that I used to a long time ago I used to be into a lot of like classic rock type stuff um I don't doubt that, but yeah yeah, I'm sure that lit you know, and it just kind of is the way it was, <laughs> especially you know high school I was the same guy like. Mix tapes and all that kind of stuff, getting ready to go to basketball games and all that. Like you're listening to all that. Pretty much that was me on the bus. Um, but, then a, you know, game day n- prayer. not. The, yeah, <laughs> I, that, well, I have to be completely transparent. At that point in my life, prayer was not exactly at the top of okay. my priority list. Um, I was more worried about my girlfriend and about playing sports, you know, not proud of that, but the truth is the truth. Um, as of right now, to be honest with you, I don't really listen to secular music. I, there are a lot of people who would hear me say what I'm about to say. No, he's just very, like, legalistic. I just believe in the power of uh, kind of the what you let in your ear gates and what you let in your eye gates is very important. The things you watch, the things that you listen to. Um, I think it's I, I think it's more important than what people give it credit. You know, I, I really try to uh, be careful of the things I watch. I really try to be careful of the things that I listen to. Um, I can tell you from a, like, what's on my playlist on my phone, probably the only secular music, and I mean that very seriously, probably the only secular music I have is old Stevie Ray Vaughan stuff just because I like to listen to the dude shred on guitar. (laughs) It really is that, like, Stevie Ray Vaughan, has been dead for a long time. He died when I was like three years old. Dude, older. I've never heard of him. So Stevie Ray Vaughan's an old blues blues guitar player. He Have died you? in like 1990. Nope. <laughs> so there goes your history lesson. <laughs> Stevie Ray Vaughan's one of the greatest guitar players to ever live. Uh, so uh, yeah, you if, if if you're into like old blues music, uh, that would be something you might like. If you're not, then you won't. But um, yeah. If I had to answer the question, what's a secular yeah. music, Nobody, probably nobody watching this or very few people are going to be like, oh, yeah, like I like that, too. Uh, but that's just because I don't really listen to secular music. Hey, if
0: you like Stevie Ray Vaughan, mm-hmm. comment. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> <laughs> no comments. Yeah. <laughs> um, I bet you can guess the next
1: question. Sure. Take a guess. Something to watch? No, no, no. your favorite worship song. Oh, goodness. That's... That's a hard one to answer, not because I don't listen to them, because there's so many good ones. Well, it seems like just about anything good. The church goes through waves where, uh, historically, there'll be one or two movements where a lot of the worship music comes from. You know, like growing up for me as a kid, there was a a revival in Pensacola, Florida. So there was a lot of stuff because it was an Assembly of God church, Brownsville Assembly. There was a lot of music that came from there, Lindell Cooley. And progression has been pretty, you know, you've had Bethel, has put stuff out. Hillsong, you know, Maverick City, more current stuff. Maverick City, Elevation is the big one right now. And, of course, Brandon Lake seems to be about on just every song that's put out anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Favorite song uh, right now? Well, I mean, I could lean on some really popular easy ones. I mean, everybody, I don't know if anybody's tired of it yet, but everybody likes Gratitude, it seems like. That's Mm -hmm. a pretty popular song. Um, but I'm going to hit you with a different one. There's one song that's a little older um, that anytime I turn it on it doesn't matter where I'm at. Um, I just feel the, the presence of the Lord near to me. It's an old song called I Love Your Presence. I think Darren Clark is the name of the guy who originally wrote it but it's been redone by several people. Um, but I really, I really enjoy that one. So if you want a current one, like a very current one, um, sure, I'll just say gratitude. Um, But if I'm being completely transparent, probably I Love Your Presence, which is probably a song neither one of you ever heard before. No, but I'm going to listen. Yeah, I I love that song. Yeah, what do you look into for, like, worship songs? That's a good question. I think most worship leaders would tell you that they probably spend most of their time looking for faster songs. They're they're just hard to find. Um, What what do you mean by that? Like, more up-tempo. Okay. So, like songs that you would start a service with uh there's a lot of good music that comes out and it's easier to find that's slower or like a more like kind of a mid-tempo version but trying to find stuff to open up a service with tends to be a little more difficult so what am i looking for most of the time i'm looking for faster stuff because it's just way easier to find slower stuff
0: yeah what about like words and stuff? Is there anything you prefer in that? Oh or?
1: boy, I could open up a Pandora's box for no, that. No, so, I, I want so, so here's where I'm Good. at. I'll just mention a song that a lot of people love, and I can't stand it. And it's "Reckless Love." That's I, I don't like that song, and the reason for it, it's it's again, I, I I believe words are what they are, and I just I cannot reconcile that God as reckless. I, I can't do it. When you look up the definition of what the word "reckless" means. Um, the the song itself and and the heart behind with that the, you know Corey Asbury wrote that song he wrote it with a great heart I'm not saying it's like a a horrible song there's a lot of people that have really been blessed by it they they but just for me I can't lead it mm-hmm. I can't lead it because for me I feel like I'm singing something about God that's not true yeah and that's the most important part so is but preaching that's truth me. yeah you know, there have been times um, there have been times where You know, I've been in a service and and somebody will lead a song and and there'll be a lyric on the screen or, you know, whatever that'll jump out. And I'll be like, you know, I don't know if I agree with that. I I know we're singing about Jesus. We love Jesus. But uh, for me, I try to pay attention to lyrics because what we're singing, I mean, these are declarations and things that congregationally we're saying about God. And essentially you're teaching, too. yeah, Yeah, you're very true. I mean, think about it in this context, right? Like... Okay, I could stand up and I could say, okay, here's our memory verse for the week as a church. And some, some of the people might grab it, but a, a, a decent chunk of the church is going to be like, well, I don't, you could ask them next week and they may not remember it. But if we sing a song and then we come back and say, hey, what was that song? And how many people could maybe sing that song with you? Mm-hmm. It's like as a kid, even you know, they, when you're preparing for a test, they would tell me anyway, study with music. Because if you'd study with music, it was just kind of a way to cheat because it would help you remember stuff a little better. I had songs that I learned in middle school about linking verbs, and I'm not going to sing you the stupid song. But I was in eighth grade. And that was a long time ago, and I can still sing that song now just because music was attached to it. So you're 100% yeah. right. Music teaches. And, and for me, if I'm singing stuff, that if it has a nice hook musically, but if it's not accurate biblically, that's a problem.
0: Yeah, I think that should be a problem yeah yeah absolutely um take it how it is or whatever but um MacArthur he's he's had some good sermons about um look MacArthur
1: I don't agree with MacArthur on everything but the man is a good teacher of the word
0: yeah he's had some stuff and I've had listened to some other stuff about like just the power of music itself Mm -hmm. um, and the effect and hook it has on people um, and I think it's something the church as a whole in America really needs to take a look on.
1: Yeah. Like, <laughs>
0: okay, what are, hey, what are we singing? Agreed. Like, what's the meaning of these songs? Yeah. What's the heart behind it? Whatever yeah. we need to take a look at. It. Yeah. You're
1: preaching to the choir, dude, because I agree. I yeah. agree. And that's why it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. It's important what we let in our ear gates. And the truth be told, there's a lot of that that's true about some of the stuff we sing in church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um,
0: so with that being said, do you sing reckless love and oh, no. <laughs> no no,
1: will you let someone else uh lit is that's an interesting word to use i I'll, I'll just put it th- okay. <laughs> i'll just put it this way to my knowledge it's never been saying here, okay, and if somebody were to ask me if they could, I would say I would probably say no but again it's a it's a theology thing for me like I said i don't know Cory asbury's man um you know my interpretation is he's a man that loves Jesus that's just I believe in the importance of the theology of the stuff we sing I
0: really do I want to I want to look into that too yeah heading into this week I'll follow up with you on yeah listen if there,
1: one thing that I've learned is is that I (laughs) I don't know everything and the whole Christian journey whether you're a pastor of a church or wherever you're at if you have a ministry title attached to your name or you don't we're all learning we're all growing that's the nature of this thing. None of us know everything. Uh, there's always somebody out there that's smarter, knows more, deeper in relationship with God than you are. And so, you know, even some of the stuff I've talked about tonight, if, if somebody's able to come to me from a biblical, theological perspective and say, well, according to the Word, maybe what you said, I can see why you believe it, but according to Scripture, I don't know if I'm down with that. If we have a discussion biblically, and, and if I'm proven wrong, listen, number one, I got to be willing to admit it. Yeah. And number two, I, I'll just put it this way. I, 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 there's a guy in our church, I've told this multiple times, teachers have to be taught. hmm Yeah. And everybody's got to be willing to be taught, no matter where you're at in your walk with God. So that has to do with everything we're talking about, mm-hmm. everything that we're talking about.
0: Hmm. I like it. Um, what's what's some things you guys as a
1: church are digging into and you personally currently? Yeah. So I'm actually coming this week. I'm starting a series on the Holy spirit. Um, one thing that's interesting now, um, our perspective of that's probably a little different than some other people because we believe in, in charismatic things, you know, like baptism, the Holy spirit. We do believe in speaking in tongues. We believe in that stuff. We (laughs) do. And I know not everybody does. Um, so from a charismatic standpoint, um, some of those things aren't as hard to talk about because you know you kind of just when you step into it most of the church kind of believes that but like even this sunday i'm going to be preaching more about things that the holy spirit does in us you know how he will convict us of sin you know where jesus was talking about the holy spirit comes to convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment um you know how the holy spirit leads us Um, those are the kind of things that we're digging into right now and it goes along with something i was talking about earlier so i won't repeat it too much but um, the importance of relational community within the church. Just understanding God, if I were to paraphrase everything there, understanding God in a deeper way, specifically the person of the Holy Spirit, and understanding the importance of relational community within the body of Christ. Those yeah. are a couple of things we're really, really digging into probably over the next couple of months. Yeah. where's What's that rooted
0: in? Kind of like New Testament probably a well, lot. Well, of, yeah. yeah. Well, again, what
1: well, I shared earlier, you know, when you look at, you know, I—, I I'm just simple enough to believe that if Jesus established his church in Acts the way that he did, that that's a pretty good model for the, the church of today to follow. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of relation in that, there's a lot of relationship in that, uh, especially if you start looking early through like Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. You start seeing those things play out, um, more so Acts 2 and 4 than 3. But um, I would say a lot of it is in New Testament. Uh, especially, you know, Paul gives a lot of instruction for the right way and the wrong way to do things in 1 Corinthians in particular, Uh, several of his letters. But um, And then as far as the Holy Spirit goes, I mean, there's, you know, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, especially in the book of John. Um, And then obviously there's stuff in the book of Acts too. But most of the emphasis, I won't say all of it, but most of the emphasis is probably going to be New Testament and here at Victory over the next few months.
0: Yeah, I like that. Will that go through Christmas? or? Yeah,
1: so um, I, I'm i not really one. I'll, when we hit Christmas, um, obviously there'll be a Christmas, a Christmas emphasis where we'll talk about those kind of things. But <laughs> yeah. I'm not really one. Occasionally I'll do like holiday-themed series, but it's pretty rare. I just try to approach planning messages. You know, okay, what what it's that whole read the room thing I was talking about earlier. Read what's going on in the church. Um, I try to plan message series, or if it's just a standalone message, more based on where the church is right now. What what I've sensed in my heart, the Lord's saying to the church, um, and because of that, those are the things we're going to talk about. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Cool. I I feel like we can go for a very long time. Probably. But- let's uh let's hit you with our final question, maybe sure. we'll hit you with a part two later on, yeah, but yeah, um, I don't know if you watched anything, if not, we're not offended, sure, um, but we ask all our guests the same final question um it's it's deep, okay, um, very what, deep. What's your dream vacation?
1: <laughs> well, here's the deal, so my wife and I actually just went to Maui last month, and it was awesome, like. I had never never been to Hawaii before. Was that the dream? Well, it was kind of like a a bucket list might be a better way to say it. Okay. Um, One of those things where my wife and I are pretty adventurous people. You know, I've had an opportunity to to go to a few places. You know, I've been able to preach in in Ireland. We've been able to – I've been able to preach in Argentina. I'm supposed to go back to Argentina next year. What? Um, Yeah, we have a relationship with people down there. Um, How so? uh, Well – there's a lady who was my babysitter as a kid who is married to a pastor down there now. It's a really long story, that, <laughs> but but that's kind of the shortest way yeah. I can say it. So uh, they pastor a church down in uh, Neuquen, Argentina, and we've been down there a couple of times. And I'm supposed to go with my dad um, sometime next year. We don't have the dates locked down yet. Uh, but w- all of that put together, I love to travel. I, I like to see new places. Um, so it was kind of one of those things for my wife and I like, Hey, let's go, let's go to Hawaii. You know, something we planned out, obviously it's not the cheapest trip in the world to make. Uh, but we got back and the first thing we said, and we don't hardly ever do this about anywhere we go from a vacation standpoint, is like, we got to get back, we got to go again. Hmm. Uh, so it's kind of weird to answer it that way because we just did it. But I would say if I were like right now, what's my, dr- I'd like to go back to Maui if I could. Yeah. What'd you do there? A whole lot of nothing, which is why it was awesome. <laughs> You know, it's interesting, obviously, with the wildfires that had just happened. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, we didn't we didn't spend any time in Lahaina, you know, for a lot of reasons. Number one, it was closed. Number two, it's disrespectful, in my opinion, to kind of snoop around. You yeah. know, people died it, there. It is, yeah. yeah. So we, we drove around it. You know, we didn't spend any time there. But the people were awesome, even after all the stuff they'd gone through. Um, it, it was really nice. We just kind of went around, checked places out. Spent time on the beach and in the pool, man. And, and ate a lot of really good food. I mean, just a very, very relaxed atmosphere. So, but that's vacation for me. If you give me a, a, a place that I can have a cup of coffee that has a nice view, I'm set. I don't I don't need too much on vacation. Mm-hmm. So you're not going like hiking or I would. I would say that I wouldn't do it. But, I mean, I I just got to be really blunt. Do I look like a guy who's built to go on a five-mile hike? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. That's just just the truth of the matter. So if you were to tell me um, we're going to – you have two options, Aaron. We're going to go on a hike, or you can kick your feet up and relax. Show me the sofa. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Or show me the the balcony or whatever. Um, So, yeah. Based on that question, I guess you're more of a hiking guy. Is that right?
0: i don't know man it just just depends where we're at
1: really true but i will say this i'm 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 pretty kicked back when it when it comes to vacation but if if you tell me that there's going to be something awesome like in the process if i'm going to go on a three or a four mile hike or whatever and you tell me that the view is going to be incredible when we get to the top i'll go yeah i'll go Yeah, but, like, if you just tell me, we're going to go hiking just to be out in the woods, I'll be like, you have fun, I'm going to stay here. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Would your kids come on this dream vacation or?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of weird with the age gap of our kids. Um, You know, I mean, 14, 12, and (laughs) 1. I mean, it's a a big, I mean, there's an 11-year gap between number 2 and number 3. So um, I would love to take all three of them. I don't know about the third one. I don't know how he would do. It's a long, it's a lot of travel, in um, it. So to answer the dream scenario, yeah, all five of us, all five of us would go.
0: Maybe you can just like in the dream, you're just there. You know, you don't have to travel.
1: If that's the case, then I hope dreams can sometime become a reality. <laughs> Somebody dream- can come up with that. No, th- this dream, there's, like, no constraints.
0: In this dream, you can, like, teleport, so.
1: Yeah. Hey, listen, get that Philip anointing like an ax, right, where he does <laughs> like, translates to another place. Come on, Dang. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that will. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Listen, his was more important than just going on vacation, so I, I, I don't know <laughs> kicking that that's up right. up on the. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Philip was about the work of the Lord, so I don't think this is quite the same thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now you would bring the Lord with you, of course. Well yeah. Obey, well, yeah no but, question. Yeah.
1: But I, I don't know that that's high up on the priority list. So oh, you're
0: going on vacation, sure, why not? Yeah. You know? Um well thank you so much, Aaron. It's been thank you guys. It's been awesome. Do you have any closing thoughts or any things you want to say before we wrap up?
1: Just uh it'd probably be directed toward you two. Thank you for just having an opportunity to share a little bit. Thank you yep. for, for your heart and what you're trying to accomplish. And uh Obviously, I pray the Lord blesses it, man. Gives you more open opportunities and open doors to meet new people, and uh, you know have deep discussions about about Him. And at the end of the day, the the goal is to draw closer to Him and closer to each other. And I yeah. think that at least for tonight, I feel like that was accomplished. So I appreciate it.
0: Oh, not, not even tonight, man. Like I hope to. No, I just mean tonight is a beginning, of course. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You, we've had we've had Jake Johnson at yeah. the center on. Mm-hmm um like some buddies but other than that this is a big step in that direction i love it i'm excited so thank you for having us here yeah it's been really cool um where can people check you out yeah
1: easiest place would probably be the church we have a, a facebook page we have an instagram um youtube channel just looking up victory christian fellowship in columbia city Uh, the easiest place can be the website which is ccvictory.org yeah yeah so just check us out on our website it's got just about every bit of information and it's got little tabs at the bottom to find all of our social media stuff too
0: yeah i mean google is a cool thing people so amen you could find them (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah. well thank you very much uh with that being said please uh give us some feedback what you like who you guys want to want us to talk to we love it um we'll see you next time peace peace you gotta say peace peace